bursting out of the ice that's been trapped perhaps for thousands of years in the glacier and hearing the, the sound of whales in the distance on a dark night on board ship. Even though it's 40% larger than Europe, fewer people visit it each year than the Faroe Islands. In fact, it's the continent you're least likely to visit during your lifetime. We're talking about Antarctica, the coldest and windiest continent. Antarctica's population is mostly made up of scientists and varies from about 1,000 to 5,000, depending on the season. One of the lucky few to have spent quite a bit of time in the southernmost continent is Jonathan Shanklin, one of the three men who discovered the ozone hole over Antarctica. Shanklin spent his career in polar research for the British Antarctic Survey. Here's his account of his time spent opposite to the north, which is, in case you wondered, what the word Antarctica means. Jonathan Shanklin. Yes, my, my first voyage was very, very memorable. Um, so I left England in um, just before Christmas in 1981. The first trip down, um, it was flying to South America, but it was quite an involved trip because we were supposed to fly from Heathrow, but the flight was cancelled because the plane needed a few spare parts. Uh, when we eventually did take off, it transpired that the spare parts it needed were the engines, uh, as it needed engine replacement. And we then flew to Copenhagen before flying to Lisbon and then Rio de Janeiro, Sao Paulo and Punta Arenas. And when we got to Punta Arenas, the ship was tied on with just one hawser uh, with engines running and ready to go. Uh, and as soon as we were on board, off she sailed. And then the voyage south, uh, seeing my first icebergs, seeing a lot of the wildlife, the, the albatrosses following the ship, um, and then reaching Halley Station and the vast expanse of a flat ice shelf with virtually no living things on it. On most trips down there, you might see one or two penguins, a few birds flying over, and that's it. There's, there's no other life there. But get back onto the ship on the on the ocean, and then you'll see seals, you'll see whales, you'll see all the seabirds, and it's really incredibly different. Uh, and then sailing down the Antarctic Peninsula on board the ship, seeing the glaciers tumbling down to the coast. So a really remarkable place, and I've been very privileged. I've had so many trips down there. Uh, each one has been different. I've either been doing things differently myself or with different people or different responsibilities, different places even. So I've been very fortunate enough to spend some time on Bird Island on South Georgia, which is where the wandering albatross have, have nesting sites. And I've seen an albatross chick hatching out of the nest, uh, out of the egg and then being incubated by the parent that was a, a fantastic sight. Being able to see the wildlife firsthand, um, uh, as well as to experience that environment, is fantastic. And then you also get a chance for a few recreational things that certainly I wouldn't be able to do um, in this country at any rate. So I've been down a, a crevasse, um, looking at the, the big ice crystals that form. I've been skiing um, both downhill and cross country 
which again is is quite fun. And we've also do something called skijuring, where you're towed behind a, a snowmobile, uh, and it's a sort of equivalent to downhill skiing on the flat. But that's 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 something that's quite fun. Being on board ship in some of the storms, where the waves are towering higher than the bridge, um, that that can be quite scary. Um, but equally. The ship is your lifeboat and you you, you stay with it uh, at all costs. Um, the, the station there is in the middle of a fur seal colony. But at night, you're sort of almost all friends. But hearing the sound of um, petrols in the background, making a noise a bit like an old fashioned sewing machine. That was another fantastic experience. Uh, life on the stations has changed considerably since that first trip down. So that the first trip down... Uh, our Halley station was underground. The uh, bunk rooms were below freezing. So if you left a, a tumbler of water out, it'd be frozen by the morning. But you were in good down sleeping bags, so you didn't really notice it. So a very primitive sort of life. Um, but we, we had um, cooks to do the, the meals. So that was something you didn't have to worry about. Your clothing was designed for the environment. And life very quickly became that's that's how things are. The the modern Halley station, on the other hand, is on the surface. You've got a fantastic view across the landscape. We have uh, professional chefs who do the cooking. Modern clothing is really really good at keeping you warm. And on the station itself, you can go around in your shirt sleeves very often. Um, on the smaller stations, life can be very different. So on at Bird Island, um, there's no professional chef. We take it in turns to do the cooking. And so you, you're cooking for, for everybody. Uh, and you get some pretty good meals that way. Um, even on the big stations, it's traditional that the chef gets Sunday off. And so somebody's delegated to, to cover. And so I've I've had to cook for 50 people on board on, on the station. And that in many ways was um, more traumatic than the, some of the scientific work uh, because it really matters if you get it wrong. Um, but the people did come back for seconds, so it was okay. Even though he's retired, Jonathan still has a hand in the British Antarctic Survey's ozone measurements. I actually retired from the survey in, in 2012, but they called me out of retirement in 2018 to go to the Antarctic as a, a meteorological observer, which is what I'd previously been training people to do. So doing it myself was fairly straightforward. Uh, and that was a, a really wonderful trip. I did spend quite a bit of time doing calibrations on the ozone measuring instrument. Again, because I was the expert on it, it was possible. Uh, and that has actually been really useful for the, the present because we're now running one of these ozone measuring machines automatically and it, it's running at this minute um, using a, a remote generator that provides 365 days a year of power with nobody looking after it and so we have a, a machine in Antarctica automatically measuring the ozone today but its calibration was set up by myself um, five years ago when I was down there um, so and without it it would not be as, as accurate as it actually is. Ozone is the latest season of climate solutions, 
Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and other podcast platforms. This is Ozone from the European Investment Bank.